politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. The only question about Fauci and the gain-of-function research was asked at the very end of the press secretary's briefing. The only one. Shameful. Press corps, shameful. And of course, snarks didn't answer it. Shocking, right? Hey, good afternoon. Hope you're having a great, great time today. Enjoying your day. I guess we got some weather on the way. More flooding. Freaking rains too much around here, doesn't it? Like London or Seattle or something. I was out there splitting wood again. I had to cover it up with a tarp. Trying to beat the rain. And uh, yes, I feel very manly splitting wood. Manly. And a lost American concept. So here's Snarks at the press briefing. Listen to this nonsense. Uh, qualification requirements are not your party registration. Uh, they are whether you're qualified to serve and whether uh, you're aligned with the values of this administration. Thanks, everyone. There was actually, it was, remember the Roadrunner commercial, like the cartoons? They were just, and they're just, like in the back, you know, just gone. She's gone. She's out of there. Her legs moved so fast, psh, out of there. Well, uh, I'm not surprised by this. They're all going to try to protect Fauci. Who is that question from, by the way? Newsmax's Emerald Robinson. That was the only question today from the shameful press corps that doesn't seem to give a damn about covering what is, I think, one of the most explosive stories uh, in a long time, in the, in, the, in the entire length of the pandemic which is the confirmation that, yeah, this virus came from a lab, and yeah, Fauci's gain of function paid for it. So shocking that we're not getting answers to this, right? It's a, it's, it's a joke. The press corps is a joke. It really is. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Jen Snarks. I'm going to give you a couple things from the briefing that just happened because we still know there are American citizens trapped behind enemy lines here. And uh, one of the things that I think is particularly frustrating for me is that we have been saying since day one that the Taliban was stopping Americans from leaving Afghanistan. And we were told, nope, they're our besties. They're helping them. You just got to go up to your friendly neighborhood Taliban and say, hey, Mr. Taliban, tally me to the airport and we're good. But today, Snarks confirms what we've all known, what we've all said Take a listen. I'm trying to square where things actually stand. The Secretary of State said a couple of times it was a documentation issue. A U.S. Senator, Richard Blumenthal, pushed back vociferously on that. Today, the Secretary of State said the Taliban are not permitting the charter flights to leave and putting it precisely on them. What's your understanding of the holdup? And if the Taliban is preventing them, what levers do you have right now? Well, there a couple pieces are true here. Um, so one is we are continuing to press the Taliban, the Secretary of State is, uh, to do more to abide by uh, allowing American citizens, uh, individuals with uh, who are legal permanent residents, and individuals with proper documentation to depart the country. Uh, it is also true. Uh- Stop. Why do you have to press the Taliban? Why do you have to continue to press the Taliban if the Taliban are helping us? If they're our besties, if they're facilitating Americans leaving Afghanistan, what are you pressing them on exactly? Help, like making sure Americans get snacks before they board the plane? What, what, what is it exactly? Making sure the mask regulations are followed at the Kabul Municipal Airport? What, what are you actually pressing the Taliban on? That's my question. Starks, right? 
uh, that uh, we don't have a role in preventing flights from taking off. We are not on the ground. So that oh. is not something the U.S. government is doing. Uh, yeah, it's not something the U.S. government's doing. It's something the Taliban is doing, which is something we've been saying all along, that the Taliban is doing this. That's the thing. Now we have the Taliban in charge with everything. <laughs> Jen Psaki was asked about, you know, whose fault is it, really? Whose fault is it? Is it the Taliban's fault? I mean, who else's fault would it be? One of these charter flights that the Taliban is holding up in Afghanistan. The Secretary of State said there are limits to what we can do without personnel on the ground. Yeah. You just said we are not on the ground. You're right. Whose fault is that? I don't think this is about fault here. No. Why would it be about fault? Because that would be faulting this administration for this awful, awful withdrawal from Afghanistan. Right? So that's where uh, that's a little bit of Snark's press conference today. I, I, I the the only thing that I just absolutely can't stand is the fact that we're all pretending like not we, not you, not me, but we're pretending like, hey, listen, we didn't see this coming. That that when we left, the Taliban would would not take care of our people and help them get out of the off the ground. We're acting like this is a surprise. Who's surprised by this? Who's the idiot that's actually surprised by this that's outside of the Biden administration? I know there's a lot of idiots in the Biden administration. I mean, outside of it. Here's Blinken today, Secretary of State Tony Blinken. This guy is a a disgrace, isn't he? He looks like a washed up mortuary guy. He should be running a morgue. He's, he's, He's overseeing the death of Joe Biden's political career, so there's that. But I mean, I think that he just he just looks like a creepy guy to me, like a guy that hangs out in the basement of morgues. I don't know something about this guy. But anyway, he's a big wuss. Second, with regard to the composition of this uh, government or or, or interim government, um, I noted uh, the fact that it certainly does not meet the test of inclusivity. Oh, Um, and it includes uh, people who. have uh, very challenging track records. Challenging track records. This is the new way we describe terrorists now. Challenging track records. Johnny's not a bad kid. He just has a challenging track record. Uh, oh, but you mean because because he's a he's a he's a bad kid? Uh, no, 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 no. Challenging track record. Like that's what I'd say about a kid in school. Challenging track record. We're working on it. Shoots paper airplanes at his teacher. I mean. Went a little crazy last year, senior class prank. But I would not describe a terrorist that way with a challenging track record. No, terrorists don't have a different track. It's only the one track, which is to commit terror. That's it. That's the whole track. So there's nothing challenging about their track record. The track record is awful. The track record is, well, they're terrorists. It's not like, well, you know, on Wednesdays, these guys are great. I mean, you should see them when they volunteer. I mean, they're doing so much good. They're giving back. But ugh, come Thursdays, terrorists again. Challenging track record. We're trying to work it out. We really are. We're trying to make it more consistent. What, how do you even begin to justify that? Now, <clears throat> I think you and I would probably agree on this point. That the uh, Biden administration's failure to get everybody out and to, uh, to ensure that the terrorists would not take over Afghanistan is the kind of thing that the media should be covering ad infinitum, except for the fact that Joe Biden's a Democrat. So we agree on that point. But do we agree on this point that what they're not telling us is how our allies feel around the world? Have you heard a blip about that? 
Have you heard boo about the fact that our allies are also learning for the first time that the Taliban, their government, has no women in it? (laughs) Sorry, I can't. (laughs) This whole issue of the fact that the Taliban government doesn't have any women in it is the most hysterical thing I've heard in a long time. Because if they did have a woman in it, she'd also be a terrorist. So I'm I'm fine. When did gender matter so much? It only matters when it comes to the the Taliban's governing structure. You notice that? Back in the States, we're never allowed to bring up somebody's gender. But when it comes to the Taliban and their governing council, whatever it's called, suddenly now it matters that that at least one terrorist in the room is a woman. At least one is a woman. Can we just get at least one woman on the FBI's 10 most wanted list to be in the room, please? To be in the room? Can we get Can you not find at least one woman who has a $10 million bounty on her head to join the others and just show me some representation? So I can go around the room and say, look, look, not just male terrorists. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, you in the back, the suicide vest on. Stand up. Yep, yep. Look, female terrorist right there. We're very proud of her. Very proud of our diversity. What about an LGBTQ plus? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. I just throw in every letter of the alphabet. Uh, what about one of those? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We do. We have a, we do. We have an LGBTQ terrorist. He's loves to blow up straight infidels and gay ones, too, because we don't care about any of that crap. We're the Taliban. It's just, it's just absurd. It really is. It's absurd. <clears throat> we're not, uh, we're not happy with the uh, makeup of the government. We're really disappointed in their diversity and, uh, and, uh, and inclusion uh, initiatives. And, we hope they'll watch some boring HR videos. Uh, but in the meantime, um, well, they're very, they're people with uh, very challenging track records. But we really hope that they can pull it together and get their act together. These are people wanted by the FBI with a, a $10 million bounty on their heads. The, some of the worst terrorists on the planet. One guy's wanted by the UN Terror Council, and I don't even know if the UN even cares about terrorism. So that's shocking in and of itself. There were five people we let out of Guantanamo Bay prison, but it wasn't like we let them out because they were acquitted. We let them out in exchange for Bo Bergdahl. That was a dumb exchange, if you ask me. I think everybody agrees on that point. So we let these guys out. Now they're the governing council of Afghanistan. Very challenging track records. I don't think your track records are challenging at all. I think when it comes to being a terrorist, these guys are huge successes. When it comes, when it comes to killing infidels, These guys have an amazing track record. They're really good at it, which is why I'm not surprised that they they are. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, you know, it's, it's again, it's gallows humor. It's gallows humor for me. Their track record's not challenging. These guys are rock stars in the terrorism world. You know what I mean? In the terrorism world, when little kids who are looking at their first suicide bombing have posters of these guys on their walls, they do. And to them, they're their rock stars. All the teenagers who are hoping one day to become a martyr in the name of, uh, of their ridiculously absurd Sharia law nonsense that they all preach over there. These, to these guys, the Taliban, the people that are in charge now, they, this is, they would love to meet them and shake their hand and say, I want to be just like you when I grow up. But given my track record, I'm not going to see 17 challenging records. Nothing challenging about it. They're incredibly successful terrorists. And now they're in charge of Afghanistan. And their friends are all incredibly successful terrorists too. Yeah, this is not the JV squad. 
You know, remember when, I, remember when Obama called the ISIS that, the JV squad? This isn't the JV squad. No, no, these are seasoned hardline terrorists who were actually in charge of Afghanistan when we came in. And now they're back in power. So they didn't even have to really look around that much. They're like, oh, I remember this room. Yeah, hey, we plotted to kill infidels in this room. And uh, I remember this room. Right, yeah, we plotted to kill infidels in this room too. Oh, and there's the kitchen area where we take breaks and also talk about, surprisingly enough, uh, what we're bringing to the potluck dinner this weekend where we'll talk about killing infidels. So that's, I mean, there's a little bit of, they do change the conversation a little bit in the break room. I mean, who doesn't, right? I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at the level of stupidity here. I saw this coming. You saw this coming. You're an intelligent person. We all saw this coming, that the Taliban would be in charge again, that terrorists would be running the show. And yet, as we were evacuating Americans out of there, the Biden administration kept going, oh, this is a kinder, gentler Taliban, way more inclusive. You'll be very impressed with their inclusive inclusivity. Very, very impressed. And really, they've been working so hard. It's, uh, it's really, truly a rainbow coalition there in Kabul. <laughs> I mean, um, <clears throat> oh, you know what? Woke Howard Stern's at it again. This guy used to be a libertarian. He was all a big, big Mr. Libertarian. Now there are some radio hosts who passed away. I don't think it's ever good to mock people when they're, when they've, when they're dead. I don't know. It's the way my grandma raised, I mean, my grandma didn't raise me, but Mama Zioli did, but my, my dad too, but. But my grandmother always used to say, yeah, I just don't speak ill will of the dead. I mean, you can sometimes, but. You got to be a little careful. But four conservative radio hosts who were not vaccinated died, and they were, I guess, described as being uh, anti-vaxxers or uh, they were uh, suspicious of the vaccines or whatever. And woke Howard Stern is at it again, mocking them and even going so far as to say that vaccines should be mandatory. This guy is so desperate to have people talk about him again. Now, why am I going to do it? I'm going to do it because it's important you know what? I'm not going to do it. Forget it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I don't care. I don't care enough about him anymore. I really don't. He's so irrelevant. It's not even relevant anymore. The fact that Howard Stern, the one time Mr. Champion of personal freedom and liberty is advocating vaccine mandates shows you that he's a, he's sold out just like the ACLU. He's a bigger sellout than the ACLU. Ah, maybe they're all big sellouts. It's hard to say. So Biden today, Gives a press conference and not a press conference. I mean, he, he says he reads words on a teleprompter again. And then at the very end of it, and this is amazing, at the very end of it, ready? He, he says this. I mean, he really says this. Listen. Competitive economy in the world. So, folks, you do it all. I'm sorry to go on so long, but uh, I can't I can't thank you enough for all you've done for the country and what you've done for me over my career. You've educated me. You brought me along, and uh, you've uh, you've always been there. Now I'm supposed to stop and walk out of the room here. I'm going to stop, but with your permission, I'm going to walk into the room because I want to say hello to all. Thank you. So sad, it really is. They had to put on the teleprompter, "Stop and walk out of the room." Show America your back, Mr. President, like you always do, the first back. Now, the thing about it is that there were no, he wasn't taking questions from the press. So it was fine to go into a friendly crowd of, of union thugs from the education lobby. That was fine. They weren't going to hurt him anyway. But just the fact that they have to put that up on the teleprompter tells you everything you need to know about Joe Biden's mental state at this point. 
Joe Biden is an absolute, I mean, the guy's lost it. He's completely lost it. And this is the guy running our country. Well, we believe he's running the country. We don't actually, I don't believe it. I don't, I've never believed that Joe, Joe Biden's running the country. I've always thought he was a puppet, people pulling strings. I've always thought that about him. Really, I truly have. I've never believed for a second that Joe Biden was in charge. It just, to me, it, it's, it's, when you watch this guy and, you, and you, you watch him read words on screen and then turn his back and walk out of the room in, in one of the most absolute biggest sh- signs of disrespect to people who lost their lives in Afghanistan, people that served in our country, and then nobody in the media seems to call him out on it. You just go, all right, well, listen, the guy gets, that's it. He gets a pass on it. The first back. America, here's his back. Take a listen. Take a look. Not a listen. Take a look. Take a look at the first back of the president of the United States of America. So how do we deal with a Taliban that doesn't have any women in it? How, what, what do we do? How does the Biden administration react to that? I honestly truly believe they're more concerned about that than the fact that it's a bunch of terrorists. I really do. I, I'm, I'm not even joking right now. State Department voices concerns over all male Taliban government. This is what they're worried about. They're not worried about the fact that they're terrorists. They're worried about the fact they just don't have as much diversity. How do you even begin to deal with them then? So what is what do you think you will send a delegation over to Kabul and say, listen, we're not going to work with you guys until we get some diversity in here. I'm just saying the terrorists can stay, but we got to get some diversity. Otherwise, we can't bargain with you, lend you money and rebuild your country again. Because how soon until that starts, you think? How soon until we're rebuilding Afghanistan again? You think what, what is what is the, 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 the time in which we have to wait for that? Uh Doctors have joined the woke climate lobby. You've heard a lot about climate change. You've heard nothing else about climate change but these storms. And if there's flooding again tomorrow, we're going to hear all about again. Yes, again, climate change. You're going to hear about that. You're going to hear a lot about that tomorrow again. And it's going to be a lot of the whole notion that we have to do something now. And actually, it's too late to do anything. So I don't even know what the point is because we we don't do something now. We're all going to die and it's too late anyway. So we're all going to die. But... Medical journals, supposed to be, you know, the place where you show new research, life-saving research. And what I really laughed at was the editorial in one of the most recent medical journals. 200 journal editors, medical journal editors, showing their political hand on climate change. And in this, uh, this, this op-ed that they've written here, they write, no temperature rise is safe. Higher temperatures have brought increased dehydration and renal function loss, dermatological malignancies, tropical infections, adverse mental health outcomes, pregnancy complications, allergies, cardiovascular and pulmonary morbidity and mortality. They cite a recent British medical journal meta-analysis of studies that examine links between extreme weather and health outcomes. This is from the Wall Street Journal Opinion. But most findings haven't been replicated. Many conflict and correlation doesn't prove causation. That is one of the terms that actually doctors are supposed to know quite well. That correlation doesn't prove causation. Obesity has increased at the same time temperatures have. That it doesn't. But now you're, they're jumping to conclusions to say that because the temperature of the earth has gone up, that we've gotten fatter and there the two things are connected. Huh? How does that work? Explain that one to me. I mean, if anything, I would say to you that as the temperatures rise, the earth should be cooling, wouldn't it? Because there's a lot of body heat out there, isn't it, from all these people sweating at the same time? 
The editorial's deceptive statements such as global warming is contributing to the decline in global yield potential for major crops, which they say is hampering their efforts to reduce undernutrition. But actual crop yields have been increasing thanks to better agricultural practices, plant genetics, and yes, higher CO2 levels. Now, what kills more people a year? Climate change or poverty? It's funny, too, because if you think about developing nations around the world who just want to be like America, in order to be like America, they need one critical thing. And you know what that critical thing is? Power. They need power. I don't mean political power. I mean actual power to run things. Let's face it. Hospitals have a lot of things going at the same time that require electricity. Lots of it. And they have backup generators, too, in case the power goes out. So you think about a poor country in the world. They want to keep their people alive, too. They want to keep their children alive. They want to keep their elderly alive. But for many of them, they, have access, they don't have access to hospitals that are good hospitals. And what we're telling them is you don't get one. You don't get good hospitals because unless you can find a way to power it by wind and solar, you can't have electricity. You can't have electricity. I think about the stupidity of the United States of America turning around to a developing nation around the world and say, hey, You people in poverty, stay there. Stay there because we're not, we've put the kibosh, the cap on. There's no more. Unless you're grandfathered in as a developed nation in the world, you can't catch up. Sorry, you can't catch up. So what's going to happen is we're going to have a lot of people in poverty. And we're going to have to spend lots of money dealing with people in poverty. And also people in poverty tend to spread disease. Because poverty is usually very bad conditions, filthy conditions. And also, too, if we eliminated all emissions in the world, would it matter, considering what China does, what India does? How come all these people who talk about climate change never bring up China? You notice that? They never bring up China. They never go, well, listen, we're not really the problem here. The problem is China because China is, uh, they're huge polluters. Their coal is uh, filthy, and they're supplying the world now with coal. You know, about 10% of the world's population currently doesn't even have electricity. Did you know that? A third still cook with stoves that use wood. I mean, I have a wood-burning oven. As you know, a wood-burning pizza oven in my backyard. Not the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that I also have a, a, a very wonderful Bertazzoni gas range in my house with natural gas because I refuse to use electricity to cook. Sorry, I'm old school like this. And it scares me that a lot of cities around the world are actually banning electric. They're banning natural gas. So what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of crappy-tasting food because I just don't think food tastes as good on electric ranges. I don't. And I can't imagine restaurants having to deal with running multiple electric ranges because they can't cook with gas anymore. But that's what's happening in a lot of woke places, trying to get rid of natural gas, even though it's the cleanest burning energy out there besides nuclear. And I don't think they're going to power restaurants with nuclear. Poverty kills far more people a year than anything else. 10% of the world's population currently doesn't even have electricity. And a third still cook with stoves that use wood, coal, crop waste, or dung, which kills millions each year. Did you know that? How, how often has our woke media talked about that? Has anybody talked about this? No, of course not. Three billion people in the developing world cook their meals on primitive indoor stoves fueled by crop waste, wood, coal, and dung. Each year, according to the United Nations, smoke from these stoves kills about 1.9 people, mostly women and children, from lung and heart diseases and low birth weight. And yes, the stoves also contribute to global warming as a result of the millions of tons of soot 
they spew into the atmosphere and the deforestation caused by cutting down trees to fuel them. So basically now, you've got more people dying of that than you do of climate change, and yet climate change is our greatest threat ever. And we, the United States of America, all woke as we are, are supposed to tell these people, you'll continue to cook with dung. Dung is, you know what dung is, right? Yeah, I know you do. You've got to continue to cook with that. And I'm sorry if your hospital doesn't have the, the ability to keep the lights on and can't use modern-day technology, things like CAT scan machines and MRI machines, which require a ton of electricity to power. Sorry, the world's closed. Unless you got in on the train of developing nations, you're done. You're done. And that also means no air conditioning for you as well. So you're living in poverty, you're cooking with dung, and guess what? No air conditioning. And as a result of no air conditioning, of course, you have rises and increases, excuse me, increases in diseases because you've got people dying of heat stroke, but you also have people that are, that are contributing to diseases because it just makes sense. If you don't have electric, uh, air conditioning, you're keeping the windows open and mosquitoes are flying in and they're spreading Zika and they're spreading malaria and all kinds of very, very bad things because you got to keep the windows open without air conditioning, right? I would think. So now we've got 200 medical journals coming together to write that we've got to do something about climate change because it's killing people. And nobody seems to care about all the poor people in the world that are just hoping to be able to catch up to the rest of us to be able to keep their kids alive, keep their babies alive. Now, there's a thing in the world we we take for granted the fact that if there is a medical emergency, we're pretty close to a world-class hospital. And that world-class hospital is using a ton of electricity. But not only that, I'm guessing in one of these sub-Saharan African countries, not only is there not a nearby world-class medical facility, but to get there requires using a car powered by gasoline, which we want to get rid of too. And I don't know how they're going to operate with electric vehicles down there because, again, I don't know how they're going to power them. With wood? Who's going to stand there all day shoving wood into the fire? Believe me, it's hard enough when you make wood-fired pizza. you got to keep that baby hot. I'm going to do something nice for you. I'm going to give you a tip. If you want great pizza, the secret is in a great oven. you got to have a hot oven. And the biggest mistake people make with their wood-fired pizza ovens is they don't have it continuously burning. That fire has to be raging. I mean raging by the time you throw that pizza in there. And if it's not, it's not going to cook. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take too long to cook, and it's going to dry out, and you might as well take it and throw it like a Frisbee across your backyard. That's right. This is the least I can do for you. These are the tips I give you. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So I'm uh, hungry now, actually, thinking about my wood-fired pizza oven, which, as I said, you know, I, at some point, I think I'm going to uh, just leave radio and just make wood-fired pizza for the rest of my life. I'd be fine with that. I would be okay with it. I really would. I'd be okay with it. And wine. Of course, wine too. I can't drink this week because I'm on flagell. You know, it's this antibiotic. Uh, and they, cho- <laughs> they told me that, excuse me, that flagell makes people very sick when they drink. So I, I can't have a little wine. I mean, you know, maybe like a, like a sip. Shh. Don't tell my doctor. Don't tell any doctor. Just pretend like I never said this. In fact, dump that. Just dump it pretend like I have a producer here. All right. Uh, Tomorrow, the president's going to announce his six-point plan to deal with COVID. As the Mu variant comes along and the Delta variant continues to dominate, 
So I don't know what's in this six-point plan. I really don't. But I think that um, – I don't know. I don't even want to speculate. The Democrats are capable of anything at this point. Luckily, there's not a big election coming up, so we don't have to worry too much about being locked down yet. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? If all the House seats were up this year, then we would have a definite problem. No doubt about it. But luckily, that's not until next year. Marty Walsh is the labor secretary. He admitted something very fascinating today on CNN's New Day with Allison Camerata. He admitted something which I've said, which you've said, which most thinking people have said. And no, lockdowns have devastating consequences. Shocking, I know. Take a listen. Uh, we need to continue to get people back in the workplace. We need to continue to keep industry moving forward. We can't afford uh, a shutdown like we had a year ago or a year and a half ago now this time. Uh, I, w- I was in a different role. I was the mayor of Boston back then. And when we shut down the economy or shut down the, the city, it was devastating to so many businesses. We just need to continue to move one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. The president has a plan. He's going to continue on his plan. The stock market, for the most part, is doing great. Uh, every day, it's still moving forward. So there's confidence there. Uh, wages are up, but yes, we're dealing with a little bit of inflation. But but I think I think that we've never lived through times like this. We've never had to recover from a pandemic like this. So so I think it's all going to be new for us for a little while, and it's going to be it's going to be up and down for a little bit. When I say that, maybe job numbers next month could be up or they could be down. But I think over time, if you look at the long term period, it will all work itself out. Uh, since the president has been in office, we've added if you average it, seven hundred fifty thousand jobs per month. We've oh, never BS. seen job growth like that. Yes. Come on. Uh, meanwhile, there are practical problems presenting themselves. The debt ceiling um, is going to have to it's going to be hitting. The U.S. is hitting its debt ceiling in October. You know, here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm glad that he's admitting that lockdowns have devastating consequences. And I wonder if he's sending a little bit of a message to the people at the White House who don't really give a damn. Because I, I don't I mean, nothing would surprise me at this point if the Biden administration decided, yeah, we're going to do lockdowns again. Or if, or if governors decide that, if anybody decides that nothing would surprise me. It really wouldn't. Nothing. And at the same time, we still don't have answers on the origins of this virus. Well, we do. I mean, we know it was a lab. Uh, we know it was a lab leak. We know that. And, and again, I, I call me crazy. I still think that the idea that this virus came around in September 2019 when our military was there for the World Games, I think it's way beyond a coincidence. Senator Tom Cotton today came out and said that he believes that we need to have an investigation into Anthony Fauci lying about gain-of-function research at a Chinese lab at the center of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, absolutely, we need to have an investigation into this guy. No doubt about it. And potentially prosecuted. Yeah, the Fouch has to be prosecuted because, as Senator Tom Cotton said, for 18 months, the guy's been saddling up his moral high horse, plucking his tongue at college kids who want to go celebrate a football game at an outdoor stadium, a nice full day, people want to barbecue, and then he sits there and he lies in front of Congress. Lies even though he was funding this dangerous research at a Chinese communist lab that unleashed this pandemic on the world. And, you know, I still agree with Senator Tom Cotton that this, in fact, was a bioweapon. Cotton said it back in January 2020, and I I agree. I I still think it is. There's nothing that I've seen that changes my mind on that. Nothing. And just because they started with the gain-of-function research funding from our grants to the national, from the National Institutes of Health and the National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases doesn't mean the Chinese military didn't come in and, and turn around and then take over the project. The grant proposal was for a project titled Understanding the Risk of Bat Coronavirus Emergency. How do you get more guilty than that if that's the name of the grant? 
right? If that's the grant proposal, understanding the risk of bat coronavirus emergency and involves screening thousands of bat samples and people who worked with animals for novel coronaviruses. They received $600,000 for bat coronavirus research after the grant won $3.1 million in funding over a five-year period between 2014 and 2019. The Trump administration ended the funding in April of 2020. It's amazing it lasted that long. There was some lie that was spread that it stopped in 2017. That's not, I mean, that's not true. We know that. Now, this is depressing. The Taliban has recruited some of the Afghan soldiers that we trained to fight alongside them. Anybody shocked by that? I'm not. And these, 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 these Afghan fighters, that's what I said, right? Afghan fighters? I think I said that. It's been a long day. These Afghan fighters who we trained, who are now fighting alongside the Taliban, it is very depressing. And at the same time that it's depressing, you can understand. You can understand exactly why they would do it because the choice for them is death if they don't do it. What else did you think was going to happen? What, what do we think was going to happen? Do you think the Taliban was going to give these guys a chance, a choice? You fought with the infidels. You trained the, the infidels trained you. Join us and fight with us or die. That's it. There's no like, oh, go become a real estate agent or go have a rental car agency. The Taliban doesn't act that way. They don't run, they don't run it that way. So I, I, I'm not surprised. I just feel so frustrated for anybody that was over there because it seems like what a waste, right? What, a, what an absolute waste of money and time. So much again. But I have good news for you. You can once again watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in person this year in New York City. That is until they decide to shut it down again, which could happen at any moment. But they are going to have it as of right now, according to Mayor Bill de Blasio, the dumbest mayor in America. We are thrilled to welcome back in its full form the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. There you go. Now, I wouldn't go making my reservations to New York City just yet. Well, A, you could still get shot in New York City. The crime rate is out of control. But B, nobody would be surprised if they pull that back and go, well, actually, you know, we're going to lock down things again. We're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to lock things down and then, because we got to deal with the Delta variant. The Delta variant. You ever stop and think to yourself, when a guy like Joe Biden makes creepy jokes about sleeping with somebody, it's the weirdest thing in the world. You know, there's certain people that make jokes and they're just completely inappropriate. And it's just creepy when you hear it. It's creepy and you go, you know what? I, I really, I wish I'd never heard that in my life. Especially when creepy old men make jokes about who they sleep with. And also I thought that wasn't allowed anymore. I thought that we reached a point where we decided that that wasn't kosher anymore. Don't do that kind of stuff anymore. But here's Joe Biden making a, a little quip today at the same education thug council that he had at the White House today. First thought in closing. While the pandemic has prevented me from traveling as much as I'd like, I've had a chance to meet with many of your brothers and sisters and many of you. The proud UAW members building cars and trucks in Pennsylvania and Michigan and noting that the main, the big three have decided that along with the support of those unions, building going electric. So we own that market. Steelworkers in Portsmouth, Virginia, longshoremen and firefighters in Columbus, ASPE workers in Allentown, IBW reading, workers reading, and iron reading, workers and nurses and grocery reading, store workers in Cincinnati, reading, plumbers and, reading, and, and gas fitters in Maryland, more reading, teachers in Virginia, more reading. And, and by the way, of course, I sleep with an NEA member every night, same one. Ew! Ew! Listen, Pops, I don't want to hear about who you sleep with. It's disgusting. Jill had her first day of full-time teaching yesterday. 
this year. He's back to school. And uh, look, I've talked with union transit workers, machinists, laborers, and welders. Reading. Do you ever feel like the teleprompter is the hardest working thing in the White House? I really feel that way. The teleprompter is the is by far the hardest working thing in the White House. I'm having a, a moment where I feel like a terrible dad right now. You've got to forgive me. At the start of the pandemic, I wanted to build my kids a treehouse. But the reality is I can't build anything. I mean anything. I'm not exaggerating here. I have, I'm just the least handiest person you'll ever meet in your life. I wind up starting a project and it's going to cost $5,000 just to correct whatever I started. Whatever it is, whatever it is, if I'm hanging a shower curtain, I will in some way, shape or form wind up costing thousands of dollars of, of, of repairs. I don't know how. I don't know how I do it. I'm just that bad. But I'm bad at everything like this. Like today, I tried to put air in my tires. And do you think I would have looked at the owner's manual? No. Instead, I look at the maximum PSI for the tire. So I put in 50, even though the owner's manual says 35. So now after I'm done with the podcast, I got to go outside and let air out of my freaking tires. That's what I got to do. I got to let air out of my tires. I shouldn't be allowed around anything, anything, electrical, mechanical, a tool, a manual tool or an electrical tool, anything, nothing. Yeah, no, that's what I did. I did. It's I got a low tire warning on the Volvo. It says low tire pressure, probably because I slammed it into the curb today trying to park in Philadelphia and never do that. And I think I might have, who the hell knows, might have even banged up the damn thing. I don't even know. But all I know is this. I get this warning. So I, I pull into the Wawa. I go up to put the air in the tire. And instead of checking the manual, which is very easy to access, the digital display and everything like this, I bend down and look at the tire. The tire's maximum pressure 50. So I put in 50. And then I check the other tires and realize they're all 35. After I put 40 in the other one. And I realized I just brought it back from Cherry Hill Volvo. So they would have put the exact appropriate tire pressure in there. So now I've got to let air out of two tires when I'm done with this podcast. This is my life. I got to deal with this stuff. See, because I'm too busy focused on the big issues of the day and not enough on the basics, like how to build a treehouse. Also, too, these treehouses are incredibly expensive. They really are incredibly expensive. And I talked to my buddy Jim about doing this, but quite frankly, he's, he's down in Florida now. He's living the good life, golfing, sends me pictures of him and the kids hanging out watching dolphins. Dolphins. In the middle of, of, this, of this Jersey hell that I'm in, he's showing me pictures of them hanging out on the beach watching dolphins. And all that freedom and liberty they have in Florida and the low taxes, it's just cruel if you ask me. But during the pandemic, I thought, I'm going to build a treehouse for the kids. And I don't know how to build anything. And I really, I mean, I, 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 my wife said to me, please don't build this. Because if you build the treehouse, what's going to happen is they're going to fall out of the treehouse. Because it's not going to be up to any sort of standards whatsoever. But now apparently you can buy treehouses. You can even rent them and they'll bring them to your house and they'll set them up in the backyard. And then when you have one, you can then rent those out, which is amazing. You can hire people to build them. Of course, it's a long wait. But I really would like to get a treehouse for the kids. Some go for uh, $80,000. $80,000 for a treehouse. Mine will go for 500 bucks. 500 bucks, because I believe it should be rustic. And I don't think you need a treehouse that you can live in. That's called a house. One guy has a livable treehouse with a basic backyard structure costing around $10,000. That's basic. $10,000 is basic. If you want a livable treehouse with indoor plumbing, that's half a million dollars. Why would you need a treehouse with indoor plumbing? That's called a house. And I know what you're thinking. A treehouse is technically a house. I get that. But still, isn't the whole idea to go out, reconnect with nature, right? Feel rustic again? 
And we did over the fire Saturday night. Nice little fire pit in the backyard. It's great. Fantastic. Teaching my kids the art of roasting a marshmallow. And the art of roasting a marshmallow when you're a dad and you teach your kids this, it's very difficult, as you know, because they have a tendency to just, as I did when I was a kid, as I still do sometimes when I'm impatient, shove the marshmallow all the way in the fireplace. And what happens? The fire pit. What happens then? Poof. As you know, the whole thing just goes up in flames. Then you got to blow it out. Now it's all charred. You got a big old charred mushroom. That's your beautiful little marshmallow is now like a charred little mushroom. And I don't know if it's safe to eat or not, but I still eat it. I've heard the warnings. You could get stomach cancer. Yeah, I know, but I'd rather enjoy my delicious charred mushroom-looking marshmallow and just leave it at that, please. Just leave it at that, all right? Give me a break. But I feel like a bad dad because I never was able to get my kids a treehouse. And maybe I will at some point. Maybe I will at some point if my buddy Jim ever gets back from Florida and decides that he's in denial right now about not being a New Jersey guy. It's very hard to leave this area, isn't it? Do you notice that? And everybody always comes back. It's like the mafia. They pull you back in. They always pull you back in. Obviously, we're coming up on a a very important day on uh, Saturday with the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And there will be a lot of ceremonies. There'll be a lot of things to remember. I I think for a lot of us, what's happening in Afghanistan now just compounds everything about this anniversary. We're all worried about what the Taliban is going to do, worried about something happening here. We're worried. There's a lot of uh, anxiety out there because 20 years later, the very same people we drove out are now running the show again in Afghanistan. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Isn't it hard to believe? Imagine how somebody feels who, who actually was there in Afghanistan, was a hero in Afghanistan, lost somebody in Afghanistan, a family member who lost somebody, somebody who came home hurt, maimed, and now they turn around and realize the very same people who were in charge of Afghanistan when we came in, are now back in charge. (laughs) What, What a disaster Biden is. He's a disaster. Does anybody think that there's anything this guy does that's successful at any at any point? Biden is the worst president we've ever had, besides uh Woodrow Wilson, who was a disaster too. But Biden is failing at everything. Everything. Listen to this now. Uh, Jen Psaki admits that Biden abandoned Americans to a Taliban control. Well, actually, I played that for you earlier. You know, I, I, I got to stop talking about the Taliban for a second. It's too depressing. It really is. Let me talk about something more fun. You want to know what it is that's more fun to talk about? It's this. Everything about grocery bills have increased under Joe Biden. Everything. Take a listen. Uh, Brian will discuss the details of the data, namely that beef, pork and poultry are the real drivers of increased uh, grocery store bills. Sorry, that's not the cut I wanted to play for you. As you know, I'm sometimes uh, of the mindset that some of these cuts are not as exciting as you think that they are. But I try to bring them to you because my whole job is to bring you breaking news. That's what I want to bring you is breaking news all the time and give you the real deal on all of these things. But what Saki said there in that tiny little clip is beef, pork and poultry are the real drivers of increased grocery store bills. Is that true in your life? Is that what it is in your life? And today, the labor secretary also said, he literally said this today, he says, if you take out beef, pork, and poultry, the increases are more normal. Wouldn't you love to do that in your life? If you take out all the things you're failing at and go, look, I'm successful. I've just taken out everything that I'm failing at, and now look at me, I'm successful. Good luck with that. The truth of the matter is, 
Biden has nothing successful he can claim. Nothing. It's a disaster. The entire thing is a disaster. Oh, right. All right. Finally, there's a doctor admitting something that I wanted to say. Here's the thing. You and I have heard so much guilt about vaccines with COVID. I don't want to get into a debate about COVID vaccinations. What I want to say, though, is that variants don't come from the United States of America. Variants come from around the world. And nobody likes to admit that. But today, Dr. Peter Hotez co-director for the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital, made a very important point. So think about this now. We're hearing about the Mu variant, which might have come from, I think you're saying Colombia, the Delta variant, which came from India. We've got the Lambda variant, which came from Peru. None of these variants came from the United States of America. Our vaccination rates are far too high for there to be a viable variant, far too high. But there are a lot of countries around the world where their vaccination rates are incredibly low. And I've told you about this before. And I've said to you that that's where the next variant will come from. And our only job in America is making sure the variant doesn't come here. We have to make sure that our borders are closed so that we don't bring another variant here. Finally, there's a doctor basically alluding to the same point that I was making. We're already seeing that. Yeah, and and you mentioned what President Biden can do or should do. I think there is also kind of this overarching lingering question that we've started to kind of wonder, which is what is the end goal with the pandemic? Is it zero infections or is it make COVID uh, manageable, something more like the seasonal flu? It is dangerous, but it is more it is manageable and it's not, you know, stopping all of our lives and the world economy. Does President Biden, do you think, need to lay that out for the American people? I mean, what do you think the end goal should be. I think the end goal is we can still uh, end this epidemic in the United States and the pandemic. But the only way it's going to happen is vaccinate our way through this. And and the bar is high, Kay. We need, with a virus that has this kind of reproductive number of over five, maybe as high as eight, it means 80 to 90 percent of the adult, of everybody, not just the adults, has to be vaccinated. And it may mean three three mRNA immunizations or two J&J immunizations. So it is a high bar, but we do it. We do do it every year for measles. And and the question is, can we do the same for COVID-19? We've eliminated measles. I think we could eliminate COVID-19 as well. But it also means another big piece to this, and that is vaccinating the planet. There if it we, is. If we leave the African continent completely unvaccinated, as it is now in Latin America and in Southeast Asia, that's also going to be a problem. And we're trying to address that with our, our vaccine. And I hope on Thursday, the, uh, the president makes uh, some important remarks and some commitment about what he's going to do to vaccinate the world's low and middle income countries because that's where the variants are coming from that's where that's why i wanted you to hear that clip that's where the variants are coming from and we need to make that point very very clear because i'm tired of people saying that like these idiots on the view who turn around and say well you know if americans aren't vaccinated there'll be another variant no not so much no the vaccination rates in this country are way too high way too high for that to happen but you have countries around the world where their vaccination rates are still in the in the in, in not even 10 percent yet. That's where the variants are coming from. And at the same time, we are bringing in boatloads, busloads, plane loads of refugees from around the world without testing them, without mandating that they get vaccinated, even though you're told if you want a cheeseburger, you got to have a vaccine. And that's where it's going to come from. I've said it and I'm saying it again. And this administration's a failure, isn't it? An absolute failure. And I don't even care what woke Howard Stern said. Mandatory vaccinations, I will still say they are a, an absolute assault on liberty, period. Any government mandate is. Any government mandate is an assault on liberty, period. 
It is. And there used to be a time when people spoke out against that stuff and said, no, we are not going to have mandates because they don't work. And all they do is make people upset. And yes, I'm a terrible dad for not getting my kids a treehouse. All right, I get it. I understand. Don't guilt me. I feel it. I feel it. All right? I feel it in my core. Oh, by the way, before I let you go, I got to mention something. Ethel Kennedy, RFK's widow, says Sirhan Sirhan should not be released from prison. Uh, He's the guy, the assassin, who apparently shot Robert F. Kennedy. I say that because there's also a conspiracy theory around RFK's shooting as well. Not just JFK's, but RFK's. And now that Sirhan Sirhan is facing the potential for parole, I wonder if we're going to start hearing all those uh, stories again about the potential conspiracies around RFK. That could be kind of interesting, huh? I mean, I do love a good conspiracy. I don't always believe them, but I do love a good one. You know what I mean? Don't you? In this world in which we live, don't you sometimes need a good conspiracy to get through the day? So takeaways from today. Shockingly, the Taliban has a government comprised of terrorists, some of the most wanted people on the planet. That's the big takeaway of the day today. Biden's failing at everything. And I can't do a damn thing around the house. Nothing. You've got to have all these good contractors, right? Like Ammons. Could you imagine if I had to do more stuff around this house? Could you imagine? I can't put air in my tires or oil in my tank. I know. I'll stay away from it. I'll stick to the radio and the wood fire pizza for now. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it.